more than the clothes we wear, style is about the way we move through the world. On this episode of Beyond Style Matters, I talk with Brass and Unity's Kelsey Sharon. Some of the most inspiring stories we all hear have to do with those who manage to find light in the darkness. Like Kelsey Sharon, who at the tender age of 18 found herself on the front lines in Afghanistan. Watching so very many lose their lives, she suffered extreme PTSD and for seven years fought the battle of her life against depression as she struggled to find the light. With the help of art therapy, she began creating jewelry. In 2016, she decided to start using her talents to improve the lives of others and founded Vancouver-based Brass and Unity, a striking jewelry collection that beautifully incorporates used shell casings and donates 20% of its net profits to help rehabilitate soldiers and first responders. The company's efforts have proved to be wildly successful, and the driven and determined Kelsey Sharon is managing to bring a new awareness about PTSD to legions of fans around the world. Kelsey Sharon, welcome to this episode of Beyond Style Matters. I'm so happy to see your gorgeous face and know that you're on the other end of this line. And boy, I'm sure you've got a few thousand stories to tell. And to be going through this world of the fashion business, which (laughs) is uh, not for the faint of heart, because you came at it from left field. I mean, you really (laughs) came at it out of the blue. It's like, what? I don't know if you ever entertained notions of being any kind of designer or running a fashion business when you were a kid. No, none. Zero zip. Never. I was the tomboy. I wore the the Adidas um, tearaway pants and the Taekwondo t-shirt. And I had my head and my hair in a bandana. I didn't wear earrings until I was in high school. And even then I was very much that genre of I had the 20 piercings with the big spacers. I didn't fit with the fashion industry. Going to American Eagle was like pulling teeth for me to buy a pair of jeans that weren't baggy. I could not wrap my brain around makeup or accessorizing or color coordination. So I just wear a lot of black. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the best fashion editors in the world just always wear black. Black black keeps you in the limbo zone. So that's a good thing. But that's really interesting that you then after this crazy, um, incredibly, I'm sure inspiring, but also could be um, spirit crushing as well as spirit soaring adventure, you find yourself in the fashion world. So we'll get to that because I think that's just fascinating. But growing up again, was that in in uh, in BC? No, I grew up in Ontario. I'm East Coaster. Mm. I yeah, I'm from a small town called Campbellford near the Trenton Air Base. Oh, the fact that it was near Trenton Air Force Base, I mean, did that have anything to do with you wanting to get into the military? No, I have. I found out while I was writing my book that I had a grandfather that served in World War II, which is my dad's dad. But I had no idea. There was no conversation in my family about military. But there was a conversation always around respect around Remembrance Day. And that, to me for some reason held and rang true. And I couldn't quite wrap my brain around why. For me, there was this, again, Remembrance Day, I had this connection. I didn't really wrap my brain around it. There was talk that we had military family, but there was never this like, the Trenton Air Base is there. I only knew of the Trenton Air Base because my grandfather escaped Hungary when the Soviets came in and settled and worked at the Badawashu factory 
for his life before it closed. So wow. I had no real connection. Unbelievable. So what made you want to really go full out and, and enlist? I met a lady on a bus. <laughs> That's usually how kidding. it happens. <laughs> it does, I've heard right? That before, yeah. <laughs> it's true because you you have this. I feel, and you know, I I'm not a religious person. I grew up in Catholic school, but I let go of that after being shoved down my throat in Catholic school. And so I I I'm always been of the the of the belief that there is more to this going on in this world, and we don't always understand it, and that's acceptable and quite all right with me personally. But when you meet people, you often meet them for a reason. And at that time in my life, I was very much a lost individual from the sense of I just just joined college. I didn't really know what I wanted to be. I just wanted to be out of that town because I was going through, you know, the high school bad breakup. Just that environment was not my good for me anymore. I quit and joined college. Um, I went in for any program they would take me for. And I was just very lost. And I was going to Remembrance Day. And I was on my way back from the ceremony. And there was a lady on a bus in a blue dress. In, sorry, blue dress. I, in the book, they call it a blue dress. But it's her blue dress uniform. And um, she had a big row of medals. And I just remember briefly having an interaction. And something stuck. Something really stuck with me. And I got this feeling like, okay, you need to go... I think you need to go look into this. I walked into the college that day. I said, hey, I'm out of here. This isn't for me. And I went and found a recruiter and I walked in the door and said, hey, I want to join the military. And we went from there. Wow. One would have to be incredibly tough by nature in order to pursue something like that. How You'd tough be surprised. You? You'd be surprised because we have all kinds, right? In the military, we take all kinds for all different positions, all different ed educational levels. You know, the, the person who's going to be a pilot for an F-16 isn't necessarily going to be the person that's on a desk doing paperwork. Mm -hmm. It's everyone has their niche in their area and it's very accepting of all. For me, I believed I had to be tough because I, I made a decision to join a unit and a position in the military that was on the front lines. So I gave myself a challenge from the get-go for whatever reason. And fearlessness must really play into that. I mean, would you consider yourself a fearless person? No, I think fear is a healthy thing. And I think I was young and dumb. I think there's a difference between people knowing what they're getting themselves into fully and people having it, you know, an educated decision and, and, and making that and weighing pros and cons. I think I was looking for a community and I was quite all right getting the shit kicked out of myself because I had done that my whole life. So the idea of doing all these pushups and these runs and carrying all the heavy weight just felt like, okay, it's just part of the job. And I was fortunately physically fit enough at the time that I was able to then follow through on that path. And your parents encouraged you? I mean, like, you know, as the mother of uh, two young women, I've, if, if either one of them told me they were joining the military, I'd, I'd be, you know, a little freaked. I come from a family of incredibly hardworking individuals, long haul truck drivers, stay at home mama, just just gave up everything for me and my brother. And my mother always told me and and she now she tells this story because she's like, oh, my daughter's someone. And it's like, no, mom, <laughs> chill out. But she tells this story. You had a teacher when you were young that used to say she's going to talk and she's going to do something. Just don't stifle whatever that is, because there's something about her. And she really took that to heart and never stifled me and gave me the tools to be the strong person I am today. So there was this belief that she can do it. I've seen her handle. I trust her. They're terrified, but they'll support me in anything I choose to do. But you found yourself in the crazy difficult situations. I mean, you were yeah. <laughs> in the, in the worst part of the world, practically like you're toting a gun and, yeah. and like you say, being on the front lines and like 
Wong, did you come to that realization that what the hell am I doing here? And now am I going to continue or were you just going with the flow? Honestly, there was this idea that, you know, it's all fun and games until you leave to go and you have this camaraderie building and you, you either have it or you don't. And whatever, whatever you end up with is what you're going to deploy with. And I, I knew early on when I joined, even the day I went to sign up, they made it very clear. We are in an active war. There is a time where you will most likely deploy based on the trade that you are picking. Are you okay with that? And in my mind, I'm, I'm 18 and I'm going, yeah, I'm okay with that because the idea of war could not, no one could fully explain what that is to a kid, literally a kid. And I knew once I had graduated all the training, they came to our graduation class, this unit from Quebec and said, you're all deploying with us in April. So from the time that I started basic training to actual deployment, it was about a year and four months. And that, in my opinion, is where the the lack of training and things like that, they do their best, but they can do better from like a mental health standpoint, in my opinion, but that's another topic for another time. Mm -hmm. So with, with that army, the job that I chose artillery, I was going to be away from the front lines a bit, but once I actually got to Afghanistan, that's when reality really shook me. Once we got on the plane from the undisclosed location to actually land in Kandahar and I got all my kit on with bulletproof place and I, I wore the weight of those and I had rounds in my chamber and I sat there with a bunch of other people. I was like, Oh, oh, this is real. <laughs> this is happening. So I did, you know, you don't, I don't know that anybody can really rack their brain around it until you're in that heat. You feel that weight, you smell those smells. You, you, you just start to understand what 55 degree heat means. How long were you there? I did six months. So Canadians often do between six and nine months as regular NCO rotations. I was injured on my tour. So I was sent home approximately two weeks before the rest of my unit. And that really was the beginning of the end for, of my military career. Every great conversation needs a pause, so this is a perfect time to talk to you about our sponsor, TSC, who, without their support, this podcast wouldn't be possible. Now, as you might know, I've covered the catwalks of Paris, Milan, New York, and London. And so why have I partnered with a retailer like TSC, today's shopping choice? Well, I believe that great fashion should be accessible to everyone, and TSC.ca is home to some wonderful Canadian brands and designers like Kim Newport Mimran, Brian Bailey, Kayla Kay, Ron White, and Hillary McMillan. And of course, TSE offers so much more than mere fashion. Discover quality Canadian jewellery and accessories from Bico, Brass and Unity, and I. You can find more Canadian designers and brands in the CAFA store at tse.ca slash CAFA. And let's all shop better together. You suffered from PTSD, and uh, that's something that you've written a book about it that's going to be coming out, Brass Mm -hmm. and Unity, A Story of War, PTSD, and the Redemptive Power of Love, which sounds so compelling. And I mean, even just from talking to you for the last few minutes here, I can't wait to read it. You're obviously a very no no holds barred. I mean, you're very upfront. You're very honest. You're very raw. Um, What went through um, your mind when you realized that you just you had to go home you were coming home you had to 
get out. Well, it wasn't a choice. Uh, I didn't want to leave. That's not something you want to do. Once you're there, it's hard to wrap your brain around that concept of wanting to stay in a war zone versus coming home. It's easier when you're there because your life is different. You have one, one purpose that day and it's to go do your job. Your bills are taken care of through somebody that you set up with. You don't have any day-to-day problems of going to grocery stores and dealing with civilians. You're all in the same mindset of you could die tomorrow. So dark humor comes in. You learn to joke and build camaraderie with people. You get a routine. It's very much like when people, and this is a terrible comparison, but I I, I just listened to an interview about Amanda Knox and it was a beautiful interview with Joe Rogan. And and she talked about that, that routine and how important that is when you're in an environment that stays the same. And so I thought that was a really compelling comparison because you have to have a routine in order to wrap your brain around everything you're doing, whether that's you wake up, you eat, you do PT, then you wait for a fire mission or you go outside the wire. It's very dependent, but your life becomes normal for lack of a better example once you're there. When did you realize that you were damaged or that you, you know, you had gone through this horrendous stuff that you would have to somehow recover from? Honestly, I I had a weird belief that it, I just didn't think I would truly make it back. I think once you do some of the things that many, many Canadians have done and you see some of the things that many Canadians have seen, there's this aspect of the part of you dies. And I was comfortable with that. I got comfortable with the idea of not feeling anything. I got comfortable with the idea of having no emotions or having nothing affect me. I got comfortable with the idea of just not showering or just sleeping on a cot. I got comfortable with the idea of bullets and and rounds and artillery and people being like, oh, so-and-so you saw at the mess house. Well, he died yesterday. So I just got, com- you get comfortable in it to an extent, but once I actually sustained what happened to me and the doctor said, you know, right now it's looking like acute, but we're looking at acute PTSD, but this is, this is looking like it's going to be an issue. And they said, here, take all of these drugs. That's when I knew, all oh, right, this is going to go wrong sideways, whatever you want to call it. As soon as they stop telling you, you can go outside the wire or go shoot artillery again, or be on an OP tower. They've now lost the ability to trust you with, with your psyche. And that's essentially what happened to me. And what, so then how did you turn around? How did you come out of it? I mean, you just sound like you're just so grounded, so together. So, uh, you know, I don't know the demons that you must be fighting (laughs) as we all do, but wow you've turned your life around and you're just such a shining example of triumph and rising from the ashes. Well, thank you. I, I'm not trying to be anybody but who I am. And I'm, I, I'm not trying to play this character of, oh, this person who was able to overcome. It's like we we all have things to overcome in our life. And whether they are small for some or large for others, it's very much dependent on the individual and the situation. So I try not to downplay what I did, but I also try to keep it in in perspective for individuals because they struggle with that. You're trying to play the hero. There is no hero here. I spent from 2009 until January of this year, which is 2021, in a PTSD coma of medication and suicide and hating myself and not loving myself and and depression. And you learn really early on that if you just put on a really good face, then nobody bothers you about things. And that's when things got dangerous. So from I, I was medically released from the military in 2011. So after 2009 to 2011, it was a lot of doctors, a lot of medication, 
lack of communication from the Canadian forces, people leaving me to figure out my own life, and then being told I'll never work again due to the injury. When they tell you that at 19, your brain, again, cannot conceptualize what that actually means. Your life is over at 19. How is my life over? And then once they leave you, once they medically release you and you're no longer part of the, uh, the military, you're no longer part of this, this thing you, you dreamed of working for your whole life and saving people and helping people and being there for one another. And I've got your six and all of these things. You learn that you're alone. And once you wrap your brain, the fact that you're alone, that's when your suicidal ideations become the only thing that you hear any longer. And then when you're triggered by people that look like Afghanistan and you're not being given anything but medication and told you're broken and you're damaged and it would have been easier if you died. And you know what? Then you go, okay, you know what? Maybe if I did die, at least I would have come home with a flag draped coffin. At least I would have been welcomed home with support instead of questioned my service. At least I would have known I wasn't a weak soldier that I could have done the job. Because no matter what you say and do, it's depending on your leadership. If your leadership is bad leadership, like you've seen now, you've seen what bad, the rest of the world is finally seeing what bad leadership looks like within a military standard. And that is what happens. People die. People are left to die. The suicide rate from veterans is an absolute epidemic that has been overlooked for decades. And it's been going on since Vietnam. And now we have these Viet Vietnam veterans and we have these Canadian veterans and we have these older veterans looking at us going and patting us on the back going, yep, we feel you. We understand. We went through it. We're going through the exact same thing. Just how it happened there. It's happening to you now. And now we have this responsibility to look after our vets. And I wasn't, not to say I wasn't looked after. I had one case manager that ended up being very good and a doctor in British Columbia. In Ontario, they tried by medicating me with, I just actually saw my medical records. At one point I was at 10 different medications in my early twenties and that was per day. And that was to manage me and make sure I could function when really all I wanted to do and used to do up until about 2015 was stare at a wall and want to die every day. So there was this idea I would never achieve anything again. And if you know anything about my pre my previous experience, that was just unacceptable in my eyes. And so to think that I could get to here now was I didn't think I was going to be even alive ever past a certain point. And there was points along that way in my 20s. I just turned 32. But there was points up until that where even once my child and I was married and I had a nice car and a nice house and I'm nominated for a CAFA award and I'm doing all these philanthropic works up until January of this year, I still want to kill myself every day. But I, but I look great. I was on Carson Daly. I was on Good Morning America. Brass and Unity was this, but I still want to die every day. So what's it all for, right? It really came down to a doctor named Dr. Greg Passy, who is a veteran himself, who served in Rwanda and Bosnia to see me and see through me and go, we got to change some things here. And he was one of the reason. My husband was my hope and my strength, but this doctor saw through what I was doing and would call me out on it and be like, that's not good enough. You need, you can do better. I know you can. And then he suggested art therapy. And now I have brass and unity. <laughs> exactly. My next question. I was going to yeah. say the role that art therapy played yeah. in uh, getting you back to yourself, your real, you know, gorgeous 
positive self. Tell me how you started playing around with art therapy. It was a very weird concept. Um, the idea of art therapy felt not only foreign, but for lack of a better word, again, to me at the time felt ridiculous, idiotic and childish. So there was no, I went from shooting a gun that shot a hundred pound round over 40 kilometers to drop it on people to let's play with beads. So there was this concept of wrapping my brain around that. And so I, I started really simply my, my husband fortunately has two successful companies, same with my father-in-law and they were able to teach me a business and say, look, here's a pipe cutter from home Depot. Here's a couple beads from a local store called country beads. And here's some old casings. I would call some friends and say, do you have any old casings? I just want to play with them and I want to try something. And they would send them to me. And, and then we got a call from no correction. I got a call from the military police saying, we hear you have restricted ammunition. And I said, that's a lie. I don't. And I didn't steal anything. So I'm allowed to have this. I'm no longer in your jurisdiction. So then there was some choice words. And then they sent the RCMP to my front door because I had apparently restricted ammunition. I said, I don't even have a gun license, guys. So I have nothing. I had 7,000 casings just delivered, but I had nothing that they could have. I started taking these casings, um, which are just spent brass that are going to be thrown out or bought by a corporation and melted down and re-recycled them by cutting, taking a pipe cutter in one hand and putting it onto a piece of brass on the opening of the casing and then grabbing the pipe cutter and spinning it off. And then I would cut a piece of the brass casing off. And so it's just a small, this one's a 338 casing. And then what we would do is I would chamfer the edges and then I would hammer it smooth. I would pop out the firing pin with a drill and do this all on the kitchen table. And then I would find some types of elastic or wire and figure out what I wanted to build the bracelet out of. And then we slowly came up with the warrior bracelet, which became my symbol of hope and my symbol of strength and what people started to wear and use as a touch piece for them and their anxieties. But it also became a conversation starter. And that right there is when we went, there it is. That's what's going to do it. That's what's going to help vets and first responders. That bracelet right there. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, what are these bullets emblematic of to you? For me, the, the casings themselves, because the bullet is the piece, the projectile that gets fired out of the gun. These are just the housing which holds it. So I try to wrap people's brain around that because people will go, I don't want to wear something that killed someone. Well, the fun fact is we don't spend our time digging them out of people or, or things. These are casings that get spit out of the gun that are just fall onto the ground that you're going to throw out. So we want to recycle them and use them for something beautiful. And for me, these casings became my symbol, my symbol of my struggle, my hope, and, and everything that encompassed the past decade of my life, these casings became, became my little heart that walks around outside of me. And there's something that I give and I make people wear because they're a part of me. They're the thing that helped me be the person I was. They're the thing that broke me and they're the thing that are going to heal me. And that's what these casings are. And so when people, I often get, I get a mixed review. That's my favorite. I'll get, I'll get people who are like, oh my gosh, these are beautiful. I've never seen a bullet casing used. So like non-tech, right? Because you get these like belts, people wear these bullets. Yeah. And then, um, but then you also get the, the other reaction, which is who did this kill? And I said, a target. And then I'm recycling it so that it just doesn't go into the ground. And we're using this to be a vehicle to help others. Mm -hmm. It's not about the bullet. It's about what the bullet casing stands for. 
And it stands for unity and helping and unifying individuals and letting people know that they're not alone. And it gives a vehicle to put the money in the hands of these charities that are doing all of the work. We're just a subset of the fashion industry that's different and unique and what I consider to be fresh for once. I'm tired of seeing all of the same traditional things. You can't tell most people's jewelry apart unless you see the tag. And that's a struggle for me from a creative standpoint, from a you can do better, try harder standpoint, because I believe that there, if people, instead of having this fast fashion where they just have to put stuff out, have to put stuff out, let's put some real thought, love and, and integrity into these pieces. For us, we didn't put anything out this year at all. Absolutely nothing. We did not. We don't do traditional drops any longer. I'm no longer subjecting myself to a fast fashion, you know, drop schedule Mm -hmm. because that's not reality. That's not reality in how people work and think. When you think of COVID, you think of everyone losing everything. Well, this company almost lost everything. We almost lost it all. But I refuse to do that. And the way to do that is to pivot and think about jewelry differently. How do we create something that lasts that you're not just going to wear this season? or next year, or I want you to pass this down. And that's why we give things like warranty and we give things like break it. I'll give you a new one because it's not about the jewelry and the sale. I've never paid myself from this company. I've only ever donated from this company. I've been doing this almost six years and we do this because we care, not because we have to, we do it because we want to. And we think there's, there's a need in the industry for people to realize that this is, this can be more it just, it just can be. There's no question that there's this burgeoning movement now with brands who really are committed to standing for something and to being mm-hmm. more than just producers of stuff. Cause mm-hmm. God, we've got more than enough stuff out there already, yes. you know, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, you know, I hate to put it this way, but you are right on trend. I mean, maybe you were even ahead of your time. The fact that you started your business six years ago, which is growing with this wave Mm -hmm. of other great Canadian brands and Mm -hmm. and international brands as well that, you know, are standing for something. So to have that kind of uh, community now must Mm -hmm. be a real feel good thing for you. It it is for sure. I mean, you get to a point where I I'm of the mindset that I'm never satisfied. And, And I don't mean that in the traditional sense of like, nothing's ever good enough. Plenty of things are great. Plenty of things are good enough. Being nominated for a CAFA award for me was a big stepping stone because I'm predominantly known in America. I'm not really known much in Canada, which doesn't make sense. And I think it's because America really cares about their vets and their military. Canada, we, we, we know they're there. It's like, it's kind of like provincial police. We all know about the RCMP. We know who they are. But, you know, provincial police like the OPP, Delta Police, Abbotsford, they're there. They're doing great. And they're doing amazing things for the community that you may never, ever hear about because you're probably only going to hear on the news about by about the RCMP. For me, being nominated for a CAFO award was it was a moment where I was like, oh, okay. I've been in Forbes. I've been on Ellen a couple of times. I've got people wearing the jewelry from every face of the earth that are celebrities or they're just average people. And it's saving lives to just be acknowledged by my own country for a second was like a breath of fresh air. And I was so grateful for that because I'm trying to get people to understand their veterans within their own country. And the one in three homeless people is a vet. The The people that are killing themselves every day, over 22 of them are veterans and first responders. These are people that, you know, literally gave their lives to go 
to protect you, whether you believe in what we did or not. The fact of the matter is we went, we saw, we did it, we're back. Now, what are you going to do about it? And so being acknowledged in the fashion world was, it was a big deal for me. I, I remember backpacking magic when I was pregnant with a backpack full of samples without a ticket or a booth and just signing retailers because the idea that they were going to say that you needed to spend X amount of money to be there and I didn't have it wasn't going to stop me. It's never going to stop me. I'm just going to find another way. And so I did that. And I still have some of those retailers. And when I started this on my kitchen table, I started it as a different name because it wasn't supposed to be anything. This was supposed to just help me and get me to function. And then Someone at dinner saw it. And then that person was married to Jesse Tyler Ferguson. And then next thing you know, I'm building jewelry and it's on Ellen and I'm getting all of these orders. And my whole house now has been overtaken by manufacturing. And I'm going, what is happening? And that's when we met Kevin Hart and he had the conversation with us like, hey, you got to make this a unisex name if you want to make this something. And then he just tweeted it to a lot of people. And so to just finally get, you know, Canada to go, Maybe even Canadians to think for a second that there are people that this supports that are within their own country. You know, that's a that's an a, that was a big, very, very big deal to me because I have been doing it for almost six years. I did start it on my kitchen table. I do have manufacturing. We do donate over we've donated over half a million dollars. And it's not that anyone needed the recognition, but for me to know that my next step in my life was going to be for something was everything and more to me. I mean, when back when I started this, the only companies that were really doing the give back component or the charitable component were Alex and Annie. You know, there, there, there wasn't a lot of people who were like, my whole company is based around, you know, and there was Tom's, but my whole company from the get-go has been based around philanthropic work, not 1% or 2% or 5 or 10 or 15. It's 20% of my net profits go. Absolutely, basically our profit margin goes to charity because that's what this place is for. We're not just a thing you wear, that's awesome. We're changing the blanking world. I can't believe I just muted myself. I'm so proud of myself there. <laughs> I always swear. But we're, for lack of a better example, I believe we're changing the world and we're doing it in a way that people would never have thought we could. Absolutely inspiring and just uh, changing hearts and minds by the personal example that you set with your story of survival and of triumphing over, you know, evil and, and hardship that in itself, just as a person, even if you never made another bracelet or, you know, or pendant, yeah. honestly, I'm blown away. I'm really inspired by everything that you said and everything that Debrass and Unity stands for, certainly by your vision, really a great message for these times and something that I think a lot of people have to hear. And the fact that you would not take no for an answer, the fact that you found a way around every difficult situation. I mean, even if, you know, the, as many roadblocks as there were. Well, thank you. But there's, we have this thing in the military where um, if there's a blockage or an, uh, an issue or something's being overrun, you call a few people, you either call artillery or you call the guy to come blow the door. I'm just going to blow the door. I'm not going to walk my way in and ask permission. I will kick your door in and shove my stuff down your throat because my people, our mental health and our society's mental health matters. And we say it matters, but it matters. It matters more than we've ever had to look at mental health before. And I've known that for a decade. I've seen my friends struggle with a decade. I am just so glad to see the rest of the world finally wrapping their brain around that mental health needs to be the core focus of the well-being of a society. 
And that's what we try to help to do. I cannot wait to have you on TSC because you're going to come on my show. You're selling your stuff all for the good of, uh, of humanity, the planet, mental health, and uh, all those wonderful organizations that you help support uh, through the creative, uh, artful, memorable work that you've been doing. Thank you Thank so you. much, Kelsey, Sharon, for being on this episode of Beyond Style Matters. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. Thanks for listening. New episodes of the podcast will be coming at you every other Monday. You can watch Style Matters Thursday on TSC or online at the tsc.ca website. Till next time, I'm Jeannie Becker.